I deeply appreciate the invitation to be here with you at Dalrada this evening. Appreciate this congregation for many reasons, but most recently for you being good to my daughter. It means a lot to a daddy. And I appreciate the subject matter and the theme for your summer series is understanding what a Christian's worldview should be because it makes a huge difference in your life and the way you look at the world and how you decide how to think about your world and the decisions and the choices that you make within this world and what happens within this world. You would think that Christians would all understand that on things that the Bible has spoken on, on spiritual matters of morality and that sort of thing, that that we all would think alike. Because if God has spoken and we have made the decision that we are going to to do what God tells us to do, to think the way that God wants us to think, you would think we would all come to the same conclusion. That's not always the case because this world affects our thinking more than what we want to admit sometimes. Now, we have in Romans chapter 12 and verse 2 where the apostle Paul writes, do not be conformed to this world, but... Be transformed, how? By the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. See, the whole, our whole purpose is to try to, to let God's way of thinking change our way of thinking. And when we go to Scripture to see, okay, what does God think about this? And then we, when God has revealed himself, it's like, okay, guess what? God's right all the time. And so if I have attitudes or if I have opinions that, that differ from what God has revealed in his word, who's the one who needs to change? That would be me. But when the world influences us and we let that world squeeze us into its mold, as the word conform implies, he says, don't do that. Don't be conformed to the thinking of this world. We need to Prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God on any issue. Now, a couple of years ago, this world, this nation was shocked at the release of a series of secret videos of interviews with representatives from the organization called Planned Parenthood. And what was the subject of these interviews? Making deals about what to do with the body parts of aborted babies. And many people were horrified to think of something so terrible being discussed over a lunch table. And for a while, it brought back to the public eye the discussion of abortion, which has seemed to have kind of taken a back seat over the years. But for a little while, that was all. It was a lot of what was being talked about. But see, this has been going on, as Terry said, legally for 44 years in this country. And it seems strange to me that suddenly people were being horrified about people making deals about the, the end product of abortion. You know, I mean, there, the medical science has advanced, if you want to call it advanced in that area, you can't really use that term, to the point where a lot can be done with human fetal tissue. So why wouldn't these kind of things be happening? You see, we live in a country 
where it has been declared a constitutional right for a baby to be destroyed in its mother's womb at any time before it's born. And as barbaric as it should seem to us, and as horrifying as it should be, it seems like we kind of get used to it because it's been happening for so long and partly it's because it seems like that there's nothing we can do about it. You know, there's been all kinds of different political people in office and, and majorities of, of different political parties in Congress during those 44 years, and it still doesn't seem like anything has gotten done about it. And we feel like we're powerless. Well, tonight, I'm going to do what I can do about it. There's a lot of things I might not be able to do but tonight I can do what I can do, and that is to show you what God's Word teaches about what a Christian's view should be and also to suggest something that you can do about it. And it doesn't involve picketing, rallying, or demonstrating, although I very much appreciate the people who do if they do it in a godly and Christian way. Now, I want to let you know, I do have slides, but I am not going to show you any gruesome photos of the product of abortion, so... Rest assured of that. Now, you have access to those photos if you want to see. You can go to Google, and you can just type in the word abortion, click on the images of Google, and, and they are there for you to see. And if you have not seen what abortion does, I encourage you to do that because you need to know what abortion is. But I'm not going to show you that tonight on the screen. And I know that the vast majority of you here tonight have strong convictions and you know clearly what God words, God's Word teaches about this issue. And that you don't need me to convince you anything about the, the immorality of abortion. But some people don't. I notice our teens are not here tonight. I, kind of, I was kind of hoping that they would be. Um, and I'm sure that they are being taught um, this along the way. But they need to be taught and they need to be reminded of the things that we're going to be talking about tonight. And there are some people whose society, and because of that influence on our thinking, may have mixed feelings about it that, that make it hard for some people to take a strong stand. Because there are a whole lot of people today that say, well, I don't agree with abortion, but I think that it should be each person's right to choose. So is that the way it should be? Now, we might say, oh, I live, I'm thankful we live in a free country, and I don't like abortion. I think abortion is wrong. But I also think that everybody else, you know, other people that don't share my views should have the right to make that choice for themselves. Because isn't that a matter of choice? And does everybody have the right to choose? Well, the whole issue revolves around the question. It's double clicking on me here. The question is who is a person? We talk about a person's right to choose. The question is who is a person? And if the unborn baby is a person, and not just a, 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 a mass of tissue, then that settles the whole question. If that child is a person, 
that has a right to live, then that is more important than the mother's right to choose. Now, this is, this is not a situation where that's a matter of opinion as to whether it's a person or not a person. And we live in such a schizophrenic world that people will say, maybe he's a person to you, but he's not a person to me. So for you, that unborn child is a person. To me, that unborn child is not a person. That makes absolutely no sense. And it makes absolutely no difference. That person either is or is not a human being. And if an unborn child is a human being, and we're going to look at what the Bible says in just a moment, I want you to notice this. If an unborn child is a human being, a person, then there is no problem where the solution should be kill the child. Now, I know anytime you discuss the issue of abortion, a lot of times people come up with all kinds of scenarios and circumstances. Now, the, the, the reality is the vast majority of abortions are done simply for the convenience of the mother or the convenience of, of others involved in the situation. Usually what's ha what has happened is, is a man and a woman, a young man and a woman have been involved in a sexual relationship. They're not married to one another. They don't want a child. A child is produced, and they're not ready to have the responsibility of having the child. That's one of the many reasons of why God tells us what's right and wrong about sexuality. Sexuality is right and good and God-approved in the context of a marriage relationship. So when a child comes along, that child has a mother and a father to be able to take care of that child. And one of the problems that comes from not doing the things the way God said to do it is when these situations come up. And the vast majority of abortions are simply for convenience. It's not convenient for me to have a child in my life right now. I don't want this baby. It's not best for me. So the choice is available to destroy that child. But now I know that there are some other kinds of situations and we don't have time tonight to go into all of the ramifications of all of the complicated situations that can arise when when people are thinking about abortions and I know there are some tough situations but never is there a problem where the solution is kill a child that's never a right moral choice to make I'm going to have a blank slide for just a minute because I want to tell you a little bit about this little baby that you're about to see here. And this, this clicker is possessed here. We, have, we used to have a possessed clicker at uh, Bank of Prattville, and I, I, uh, I uh, asked that it not come back again. <laughs> there was a situation with a couple at the Prattville Church. Katie and Matt Griffiths, and some of you know this couple and you have heard of their situation. Great young Christian couple. She's diagnosed with a very aggressive and lethal type of breast cancer. And she needs chemotherapy. She needs it fast and she needs strong chemotherapy. Problem is she's pregnant. And to give her the the degree of the kind of chemotherapy that she really needs at that point, 
would probably not allow a child to live. Now, she could have a, a lighter kind of chemotherapy and have to delay the full chemotherapy until after the child was born, and, and, and they would take the child as, as early as it was safe. The option was out there legally that she could have an abortion. Now, I think she had passed the, the line where it could have been done in the state of Alabama, but she theoretically could have traveled to another state that allowed late-term abortions and go ahead, take care of that, and then have the chemotherapy that she needed to save her life. That was never an option for this young couple. So what she chose to do, what they chose to do, she would take the lighter form of chemotherapy that would be much less likely to be harmful to a child, get the baby to the point where the baby could safely be brought into the world, and then she would have the strong chemotherapy that she needed to save her life. And now we've got little Aniline. She was fine. And because of the fact that her parents did not look at this as a tough situation and, and choose the option, kill the child. Now, our laws of our land gave no protection to little Annaline if her parents had wanted to get rid of her. But Annaline was protected by the faith and the strength of godly parents who are guided by God's worldview of things and they think like the Lord. And she was protected by the Lord through those chemo treatments in response to the prayers of thousands of people. And I'm going to try to click it once. That's little Annaline today, two years later. Now, was little Annaline a person before she was born? Now, we saw her ultrasound pictures on Facebook. We could see her little arms and her little legs and her face, her head. Was she a person before she was born? Now let's look at the Bible and to see that the Bible clearly gives us an answer to that question. And we're gonna, not going to look at a lot of scriptures tonight, but the ones we're going to look at make it very clear. Psalm 139, verse 13. The psalmist writes, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Now, does that appear to you that an unborn child is a person in the eyes of God? There's no question. God is the one who is creating a child within its mother's womb. That person is a person. Now, let's look at a an example of this and the wording that the scriptures use, fast forward to the New Testament. And the first scripture we're going to look at is, I'm going to have to, I may just stop. 
Is there another clicker? Do we have another clicker besides this one? Okay. Can you can you guys do it for me up there? All right. If if um if you okay, that's where I want to be, right there. And so I will ask you to advance my slides for me, okay? We're gonna throw this clicker over here. I may just take it home with me for the sake of the next speaker who tries to use it. John the Baptist is in his mother's womb, in the womb of Elizabeth. She's six months along. Just recently, Jesus has been conceived by Almighty God in the womb of Mary. Mary goes to visit Elizabeth. What does Elizabeth say when Mary comes in? She is honored. She says that the the mother of my Lord would come to me. And she says, for behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby leaped in my womb for joy. That was a baby. Who was that baby? That was John the Baptist. Now, fast forward a little bit, same slide here, but when Jesus is born in Bethlehem and the angels come to announce the birth of Jesus to the shepherds and they say that you'll find him in Bethlehem wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And so the shepherds, they get up and they go to see what the angels have told them to go to see. It says, they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. Same word. If you look at the Greek, also same word for the baby in the womb before birth, a baby after it's born. No different. When Elizabeth and Mary were together, there were four people in that room because Jesus was Jesus and John was John even though they were still in their mother's womb. You see, birth does not change who that child is. It is merely a change of location. And if we don't have the right to kill the child after it's born, then we don't have the right to kill that child before it's born just because they're smaller. Their value is the same. And one of the previous slides, I had the picture of of the unborn child, and it says person's a person no matter how small does anybody recognize where that quote comes from a person's a person no matter how small if you read dr seuss books horton hears a who you know horton is an elephant and and he discovers that there's a a a, a whole city of people living in this tiny little dust speck on this flower and and he 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 takes it upon himself to protect them and he can't convince anybody that it's real he's heard their voices but the, the moral of the story was a person's a person no matter how small. And that's true. It's not true because Dr. Seuss said it. It's true because, because God says it. And it's clear from his word. Now, let's see. Let's advance one slide here. One, back up one. Okay, blank one. Because I, I don't need to have a slide up here while I tell you this. We have two grandchildren. 
Alexis is four, and we have a new grandson, Asher, that was born 11 weeks ago today. But we had two other grandchildren. Back in 2012, my daughter Laura was pregnant with twins, a little boy and a little girl. And as she was about six months along, there were problems. And we lost the little girl. We were hoping to be able to save the little boy because they were able to stop the labor. We had hopes of maybe saving him, but 10 days later, she went into labor again, and it was just too soon, and, and we lost the little boy as well. But Lisa and I held those children in our arms, tiny as they were. We held them. And I can tell you, folks, they were babies. They were not masses of tissue. They had names. They're Ariel and Alex. And Ariel and Alex will always be our first grandchildren. But I'm telling you, as much as as our daughter and son-in-law wanted those babies. Babies those same age, in that same situation, if it was someone else who did not want their babies, the law would say they're not people. They don't deserve protection, and it's a constitutional right if someone chooses to hire a doctor to kill them. And those babies could be destroyed and tossed aside as medical waste in the name of choice and the name of people's rights. How it must grieve the heart of God daily as this happens day after day after day in our country. Advance one slide where the psalmist says, Behold, children our heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. That's how God feels. And even science and medicine have come to understand that the unborn child really is a human being, whether they value that human being or not. Even science has come to that conclusion. Advance one more slide. This man right here, his name is Bernard Nathanson. Now, he's passed away now. But he was a medical doctor who co-founded one of the most influential abortion advocacy groups in the whole world. It was called NARAL. And he once served as the medical director for the largest abortion clinic in America. But he was honest enough to begin to see as, as medical technology began to advance and people began to see, to see inside the womb before a child was born... What was really going on? And with those medical advances, he began to be horrified at what he had been doing. He had been responsible for the abortion of thousands and thousands and thousands of babies. But he came to understand something else. I wanna, the next slide will give us what he had to say, a quote from him. There is simply no doubt that even the early embryo is a human being. All its genetic coding and all its features are indisputably human. 
as to being there is no doubt that it exists, is alive, is self-directed, and is not the same being as the mother and is therefore a unified whole. And that's somebody who knows. Now, we can't support anybody's choice to destroy a new life, a new person, even if he or she is very small, and rip that person apart by means of abortion. There is nothing in the Bible and there's nothing in science that would lead us to believe that this is a right and moral choice. If he or she is a human child, again, I say there is no problem where the moral solution is kill the child. But it's now been over 40 years and all the efforts of pro-life advocates to overturn the Supreme Court's decision that legalized abortion have seemed to be in vain. So we feel like, is there anything that we can do? Next slide, please. Now, again, as I said before, I appreciate those who lobby Congress. I appreciate the people who carry the signs and demonstrate and bring some attention to the fact that this is happening in our world. But there are some things that we can do that don't involve those things that can make a real difference. There's a ministry right here in central Alabama that was organized by some caring Christians some 40 years ago to serve the needs of children and the needs of young mothers in times of crisis pregnancy. Next slide, please. It's called Agape. You know about Agape. And one of the things that Agape does is crisis pregnancy counseling. There are some young women who find themselves pregnant. Maybe because she and a young man were involved in sexual sin, not being married. Sometimes it could be a situation of extreme poverty. Where someone feels like, I, don't, I can't afford to take care of a child. There can be situations where it would be the best thing for a child not to be murdered, but to be raised by a family who would love that child and deeply wants that child. Agape is set up to help those in situations to give young women an alternative to an abortion. Next slide, please. Abortion is an option that people have legally, and they can choose to do that. But what a beautiful thing is when the choice is made, next slide, please, that it comes to be adoption instead of abortion. Now, here's what we can do to make a difference. Next slide, please. First of all, we can pray for our nation. We need to pray for our nation because we're in a mess. When our world thinks this way, we have come to the point of Absolute insane thinking. So we need prayers. But also pray for young mothers who are in crisis situations, who are scared and afraid and don't know where to turn. Pray for agape and ministries like them. Not only can you pray, but you can give. Put your money where your mouth is. Now, ministries like this cost a lot. 
to make them go. And if we claim that we oppose abortion and, and we can post on Facebook or, or we, can, we can hold a sign and let our views be known, but if we're not willing to fund alternative efforts, what sense does that make? I'd like to suggest you to decide today that you're going to make a sacrifice financially for the lives of unborn babies. Another thing you can do is to tell. First of all, tell people that abortion is wrong. Even if you're laughed at, even if you're made to feel like that, that, that your thinking is narrow-minded and that your insistence that there's never a right time to kill a child is, is laughed at in this world, still tell people that abortion is wrong. Let it be known what the Bible says about it. Some people still have some respect for the Bible, but they have heard so many other voices from the world, they just don't understand, and, and they don't realize that this just doesn't work together. Tell people about agape. Sometimes you may have an opportunity to know about a situation where there is a young lady that's in a crisis situation, and she thinks that abortion is the only way out. Sometimes they may not know that there are other options and that people are there to help them. Another option that we have is to adopt a child or volunteer to be a foster parent for Agape. And I have such an incredible amount of respect for people like Terry who have heard God's call to do something and actually save the life of a child by taking a young lady who would very likely have had an abortion and a child that very likely may have been put to death said, no, I will give that child a home. Jesus loves little children. Next slide, please. You remember the passage in Matthew chapter 18 and verse 5 where Jesus said, whoever receives one little child like this in my name receives me. I'd like to read to you the lyrics of a song that I heard on the radio back in the late 80s, I believe it was. It was by a, a contemporary Christian couple named Steve and Annie Chapman. But it's, the song grabbed my heart. And it's about a situation like we've just been talking about. Listen to the words. The title of this, that song is Bring That Child to Me. Even though you never wanted the child that grows in you, I know that you must be afraid of what you plan to do. But please, before you let them take this child before it's time, would you hear what's on this heart of mine? I am a barren woman. I cannot have a child. I've been a mother only in my dreams. And the child that grows inside of you could fill these empty arms Please give him life. Then bring that child to me. My husband seems to understand, though his arms are empty too. He longs to be a father, but there's little I can do. There'll never be a child unwanted as long as we are here. Your child could have a happy home, and we could dry our tears. I am a barren woman. I cannot have a child. I've been a mother only in my dreams. And the child you plan to throw away could fill these empty arms. Please let him live. Then bring that child to me. 
Our Lord and Master Jesus Christ loves the little children, and he's concerned about their welfare. And how we value children is a direct reflection of our faith in him. Let's go a couple of slides ahead. I want to talk about forgiveness for just a minute. Because it's possible that I may be speaking to somebody in this room tonight who is dealing with the guilt of having had an abortion in the past. And you might say, surely not. A group of Christian people on a Wednesday night of all times, but it has happened. And I know it can happen. I don't want to ever do a lesson like this without emphasizing and reminding us, all of us, that there is forgiveness even for such a thing as this. I'd like to, well, first of all, I'll let you know that, that I did a similar lesson to this a couple of years ago at the Prattville Church. And there was, there's a young lady in our congregation that was converted out of the world, and she had expressed sometime after that about the guilt that she felt because she had had an abortion before she became a Christian when she was very young. And I knew that this lesson might bring her a great deal of pain. And I, I told her ahead of time, I said, I want you to know this is the subject of the lesson. I won't be offended if you feel like you just can't be there to deal with that. It's not in any way meant to hurt you. But she came up to me before the lesson that morning. Or actually, she sent it by somebody else and said, I got something I want you to read. And I'm going to share it with you because she wrote this that morning before my lesson. She says, I learned about today's topic, which is a very hard one for me. I could either put on my mask and no one would ever know, or I could tell my story to hopefully help someone else out praying to save a baby. I choose to remove that mask and to tell my story. I was a senior in high school. I did not go to church and did not know God like I should have. And I think perhaps I did not know him at all. I was pregnant. And the father of my baby kept telling me that he was not ready to be a dad. And laying the guilt and pressure on me, I was scared. My family was poor and the father did not want our child. He kept pressuring for an abortion, so me, a stupid little lost girl, gives in. Their counseling was group counseling, not one-on-one. -on -one. And I was a very shy and timid person, so I did not speak up or ask questions. I just sat there confused and scared, not sure really what to do. They gave me my pill to dilate me. Then shortly after began the procedure. I began to cry, and I screamed for the doctor to stop. But he informed me that it was too late to stop the procedure. The nurse squeezed my hand in an effort to comfort me, but there was no comforting at that point. I had dreams for many years of a blonde-haired baby running to me and yelling, Mommy, with excitement. But I would wake up before I got to pick up my beautiful baby. These dreams haunted me for years, but no one tells you about the consequences of having an abortion. But I can't go back into time. It's already done. All I can do now is tell my story in hopes that it helps someone else who is in such conflicting and, and, and scared state. Talk to someone one-on-one -on -one about what it, what it is really like and what the consequences are. And believe me, there are consequences and they do not go away easily. Talk about your fears and concerns. 
and you'd be surprised at how God will work things out for you. I have learned the hard way that it takes someone stronger to fight for a life versus to destroy a life. This is my guilt and my shame. Don't let it be yours. (laughs) One day I will get to see my baby and say, I'm sorry for not being strong enough to fight for you. Children are a heritage of the Lord. Every child is a creation of God. No one has the right to take that life. Even though we live in a world who's getting farther and farther away from God's way of thinking, and one of the results of that is a cheapening of the value of human life. And I'm afraid it's going to come to the point, Terry, someday where even newborn children that have problems or handicaps in some way that our our society is going to say it's okay to take their lives too. I believe that's coming someday. But I encourage you to be there for somebody. And if there's anybody in here tonight that that's you, Please know there is forgiveness in Christ. Share your story with somebody who may need it because I can tell you that since she wrote that letter two years ago, there has been at least one baby that has been saved because of this letter. And this lady can take great comfort in that. God has forgiven her because she's repented and she's been washed in the blood of Jesus. Every child has has the right and deserves the opportunity to live. And I pray that one day in our nation the killing will stop. But no matter who thinks what, brothers and sisters, we need to let God's thinking shape our thinking and stand firm and let it be known what's right. At the same time, doing it in love and care and compassion for people who have not been taught that and who may be hurting deeply because of choices that they've made. There have been preachers' daughters who have made that terrible mistake. There have been elders' daughters who have made that terrible mistake. There have been young ladies who have been in church on a regular basis who've made that terrible mistake. But there is forgiveness in Christ. Let's teach and let's love and let's pray right now. Father in heaven, we ask for mercy for our nation with its twisted thinking, and we ask for change. We ask for changed minds and changed hearts. We ask, Father, that you will not only help us to believe what's right, but to do what's right. Help us to do what we can to make a difference. Father, help us to search our hearts and see if there are things that we can do that we have not done to try to make a difference. Father, we pray for 
young ladies that are out there right now somewhere in these crisis situations, for whatever reason that they're in them, Lord, we pray that they will not compound sin upon sin by choosing to take the life of their child. And we pray, Father, that for those who struggle with, with the guilt of making those wrong choices in the past, that you will help them to know that if they are in Christ, that they are forgiven. and Help them to make a difference for someone else. Thank you, Father, for our precious children and what they mean to us, and we know that every child is precious to you. Thank you for those children. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.